Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 39 of the Odyssey podcast, the first of 39 episodes to have our brand new intro music. How attached we are to it yet, I'm not sure. Will it be a one-episode thing? Will we change it frequently? I'm not too sure. But uh, Subject to change, probably. Yeah, the kind of cringe 70s <laughs> funk felt felt quite appropriate for, for this podcast. Absolutely, yeah. How are you keeping, Adam? Um, the natural instinct is to say I'm great, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> As well, it's good that the instinct to say, yeah, no, grand, great. Um, yeah, no, so, as you know, I, yesterday, in very kind of inconsequential training session, uh, RP6 pause single, followed by some light back down triples um, at 190. And on the third rep, I just felt a sharp pain um, in my, my lower back, felt like I had been shot. Um and I don't know, I'm still very, I'm actually really impressed with myself that I managed to, because the pain hit like, you know, halfway up the squat, which is like right at the, my typical sticking point. And mm. I felt this like, it felt like a, just like a structural failure at the time. And I dipped down and still managed to muscle it back up and, and stand up with, you know, probably the worst training related pain i've ever experienced uh followed by near complete loss of <laughs> lower limb mobility i i was like kate was there with me i was like dragging myself around with my arms i couldn't really use my my lower body it was it was quite dramatic and there was this is in the in a more commercial gym that i've been training in for the last year or so and there was other people there and it, it was all very very dramatic but um yeah so dealing with with quite sharp, um, sharp, severe pain in the kind of associated area right now, um, which I'm sure in the next day or two will will dissipate away nicely, and then it's it's back to the 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 the, the same prescription as always outlined in our episode. How to deal with pain in your training episode number? Oh, it was quite a while. I couldn't ago. even say. <laughs> Damn, that was actually quite a while ago. Episode number 24 of the Odyssey podcast. Um, wow. So yeah, it'll be back to that. It'll just be a case of trying to trying to push range of motions again, trying to return to return to participation, return to, to performance as quick as possible. Uh, I am four-ish weeks out from competition. I think four weeks exactly now. So not the best time <laughs> for this yeah. to happen. But look, it is what it is. I will do my absolute very best to, to, to be there on the platform platform on competition day very good would you still call it an rp6 would you call it an rp6 with a misgroove <laughs> <laughs> well this is the thing no, right legitimate question it legitimate was an question. rp6 my my top set single it was 220 for a pause single and it was an rp6 maybe 6.5 and it was grand it was nothing and i was in a bit of a rush um so i was i i racked it and i was kind of like I'll just leave it there and just move on to bench just because I need to get through this session and you know yeah. I'll cut out one or two back downs on, on squats and then, and then I was like that's nah, only 190 I'll do one back down so I loaded the 190 and did that back down that's gas it's weird isn't it it's funny yeah I think you, maybe you were rushing and you weren't paying too much attention to your technique was that kind of what happened um so for everyone else's sake Connor is looking at me smiling right now <laughs> you know what there might be a small element of that like for sure in terms of in terms of why 
that happened. Yeah, it, it very well could have been a fact that I was rushing and that I was kind of not necessarily being as methodical with with my, you know, normal technique as I usually am. You know, I wasn't bracing mm. uh, uh, the way I normally would. I definitely didn't unrack the bar with like as much kind of seriousness as I normally would. My setup was definitely quicker and it was rushed, which 100% can lead to different techniques and oftentimes yeah. different techniques under heavy load for us powerlifters who are very, very, you know, accustomed to specific movement patterns and techniques. Yeah, that's that's definitely going to lead to to higher instances of of pain um, and, and, mm. and pain experiences related to training. So maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I was, I was joking, but with you, but you are, you are correct. And like, I'm sure everyone in this, it, it's, it's obviously not funny. All right, let me preface that, but it's funny as well that I was going through a significant pain experience and I had everyone in my DMs like, what do you think it is? Or how do you think it happened? And X, Y, Z. And with, with something that's a, that was a little bit more vague, that was my pain experience, but with something like yours, I know you, you're inundated with people like, how did this happen? Like what's, and, but if, if somebody pushed me to tell them or to hypothesize as to why this happened, my answer is shit happens. Like yeah. you just got on bad luck. Like everyone's going to experience some kind of pain or pain experience or injury at some point. And it's just, yeah, because I drew a bad, drew a bad hand pal. Sorry. Yeah. And I could look to like, like I just explained, I was going to skip that back down. And I did it anyway. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like little random, you know, decisions you couldn't possibly foresee or control. And like I could totally, att- yeah. I could attempt to put some rationale there and, and try and kind of uh, retrospect my last couple of weeks and and draw and you know piece together something. But like absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've literally not slept. I've trained. We'll say we'll say morning A. I've trained, not slept a s- and at all that night and then trained heavy again the next morning so on zero hours of sleep and nothing's happened do you know what i mean there's been no yeah. so like there's literally no point even trying to because it, it is just it is just very random and it's one of those things that you know we always say this that it doesn't really matter what the what the cause is or what's wrong or what happened because the prescription is the exact same you know totally yeah uh i did go to the gp mainly just to get documentation and also get given those good anti-inflammatories um nice and because i was a bit panicked to be fair i called you as well because it was just like i i said to you (laughs) a a quote popped into my head from mike tyson that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face and that's kind of how i was feeling because i was doing my best to not panic but this was as i said in nearly 10 years of, of doing this thing the most severe kind of acute pain experience i had ever i'd ever dealt with um that's another part of the reason that, that I went to the doctor and he did refer me for an MRI, which I was a bit kind of like meh about, but, um, you're like, well, actually doc, did you, you didn't try it? No, I resisted. I resisted. Yeah, I just, I just nodded. Better, better man than me. I nodded and agreed at him kind of, you know, leaning to, and he's, a, he, I would regard him as being a great GP. Um, but definitely not like a sport oriented GP because he was, you know, mm. very concerned and, and, almost catastrophizing for me and there was talks of Jesus. there was talks of par par being you know uh paralyzed and all this stuff if, uh. if if another instance happens again or if there's a disc bulge and i just kind of 
smiled and smiled and agreed. You know. But uh, and I know this isn't the topic of conversation for today, but it's always worth touching on. Um, and even for yourself, I suppose, to talk about it, I'm, I'm sure is is cathartic or therapeutic in some way, shape, or form. But had you it, had you not had the knowledge or experience that you have. I know a load of people, a load of lifters of mine, and I talk about this shit all day long. If if somebody told them, if somebody in a position of authority told them, or was mentioning words like paralysis or lack of function or lack of training participation, you're fucking freaked out, and that's not going to help your um, your outcome necessarily. And I, and it's people were asking me in the gym this morning about your story and about what's what's going on and all this kind of stuff, and we kind of came to the topic of conversation that like the the doctors are it's it's like what's what am i trying to say it's they tend they're like nearly forced to tend towards intervention and and worst case scenario because if something happens and they erred on the side of inaction or minimally invasive interventions they're fucked like that's that's them and it's all well and good for me and you to say minimally invasive interventions maybe don't go for that scan maybe hold off on that surgery but for them like that's you're done pal so i i, I have sympathy for for them that they're kind of tied into it's this difficult 100 yeah you know I, and i certainly wouldn't believe it or not i wouldn't be ignorant enough to say that they're wrong or that I, if i was a doctor now with all these years of experience and expertise i would have made a different call what a pointless thing to say no, i don't think that way yeah and i, I just think that the 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 place where I think the major change is going to come in in that kind of interpersonal medicine, you know, or even mm. just situ- not even medicine, just interpersonal, you know, uh, type of, of uh, relationship um, where someone is coming to you for help. I think where the biggest change uh, for the good is going to be made in the next 10 to 30 years is going to be just in, mm. in the, the, the type of communication the 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 words used you know um you could prescribe all of the same things i was prescribed yesterday with you know while erring towards using uh kind of more positive more optimistic language and that for sure yeah for people who are less initiated can help with outcomes you know absolutely yeah no that's a great point and that's that's something i think we can look forward to and it's just to kind of round out this this topic of the conversation um I think that's where conversations like this and podcasts like this, even though we're, we're not qualified, using the language or disseminating the language is important. And maybe a couple of words, a couple of fuck will stick with people and they, they tend to like automatically or err towards more optimistic language. Yep. That that surely has a fantastic outcome, if if nothing else, yeah. you know, so that's that's kind of cool. That's a cool thought that we're doing God's work, putting, putting words out there. Shaming people into not uh, catastrophizing. You're catastrophizing. What are you, a child? Come on. <laughs> but yeah, you're that, scared about your back pain. That's me. How, anyway, yes. how are you? I'm Grant. Yeah, no training. Signed up for October. I don't know if I said that the last day. I don't know when this was, but um, but kind of week two into a block. Uh, last week was a little bit messy because I was off work for the week and I was doing a lot of different bits and pieces. Had a significant amount of pain last week, and I just kind of ignored it. Um, and I'm doing well now this week so i'm excited excited to build um had a lot of drinks last night so this morning was a little bit ropey but it was great great out session so i'm happy out yeah i'm grand laughing love it love it 
Jenny, that's it. That's I'm not talking any more about that. Excellent. What are we here to talk about today, though? Peaking and preparing for a powerlifting competition. So this is very actually. So that was quite a an appropriate segue because you and I are both prepping for meets. We're at different stages. You're four weeks out. I'm like ten weeks out, yep. which is less time than I thought. I, I I don't know why I come into competitions thinking I have buckets of time. Like I could have sworn I was sixteen to eighteen weeks out. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about preparing for competitions and there's a load of different ways you can look at it and I think we're taking a temporal angle so that very very far out there's things to consider short to medium term there's things to consider and then on the day obviously there's a ton of considerations and a ton of things you can do and decisions you can make to better prepare yourself for on the day you can't predict what's going to happen for the most part um, but you can make decisions to give yourself that kind of anti-fragile stance or put yourself in the best possible position, you know? Yep, certainly. Certainly. So we, we kind of did run through a few a few notes um beforehand and I guess we'll we'll simply start running through them and to clarify this is not, you know, I suppose the only way to view this and I don't want to to give off that that um that idea, but I suppose similar to our episode titled "How to Write Your Own Training Program," this will just be the way we we view it. Some some common kind of heuristics mm. we use, and some common mistakes I suppose that we often tend to see, uh, at least and make and make, yeah, or have made for sure. That's that's often what guides uh, our knowledge on these mistakes. But um, yeah, so we'll jump right in. I suppose the first thing we thought it made sense to talk about was timing the competition you're absolutely competing at not being that guy who signs up for for a new coach um and says i am competing in three weeks can you can you get me ready (laughs) i have a few of those actually (laughs) there's a competition in like two three i don't know when it is soon um yeah that's that's suboptimal to say the least um well, the answer I hadn't even considered the answer is no yeah go ahead sorry the answer is no yes like no i can't get you ready (laughs) in three weeks but i mean we can do some training that is you know fairly comp specific and we can go and do the thing and then kind of move forward with our coaching relationship from there yeah absolutely yeah totally totally there is i so ideally and i hadn't even considered it through the lens of working with somebody new and then went because ideally if you're if you let's say you're working with a new coach you want to have a significant developmental period, even to just get to know each other before choosing a competition. This is this is a segue into how many competitions a year should you do? I think it's pretty common to say like two to three, depending on your schedule, depending on the availability. But two to three is kind of nice. You want to leave yourself sufficient time to build and develop, especially if you're working with a coach, particularly if it's a new coach. And not just be testing or expressing the strength that you've built all the time. And and comps are mentally and physically taxing, do you know? So it, it the peaking process generally is quite physically taxing. It doesn't have to be, but but typically it, it, it can be. So you want to give yourself sufficient time to train and peak appropriately for competition. So it's typically two to three. But we had discussed earlier on that, let's say, beginners may have the potential to do a couple of more comps per year, three to four to five even if they're lucky enough to get these these tickets, that you they'll probably see much more rapid progress in those shorter periods of time yep. to, to build and express more strength, but also 
having that experience, that increased experience on the platform, so it's not so mentally taxing and scary, I think is there's a lot to be said for that. And you know the rules and you get familiar with the weight classes and changes, all these things come into it. So having that competition experience, I think is is very, very valuable. Yeah, taking kind of the competition day off the pedestal, you know, and, and oh, facts, normalizing yeah. it as just a part of, of powerlifting is, I think, a really, really important and valuable thing you could do. Um, and I speak from a place of, of not having done that. I, I compete very infrequently. Uh, and that's mm. something I'm looking to change over the, the coming years now is to, to really kind of uptick the amount of competitions that I do. Um, I think as well, another consideration is that like, I think as a beginner, yeah, you can you can do a lot because you're probably going to be getting better at quite a rapid pace. Um, and so that's, that's going to be kind of fun. But also you aren't going to be handling loads, workloads, um, amounts of stress that are that are going to be very difficult or taxing um, from a recovery point of view. And so you, you just can do that a little bit more often, I think, when, when you're new. Um, mm. I think as an intermediate, is it's kind of that starts to be when you get to decide what suits you best. Um, you know, for for myself, for example, I would probably identify as being like an intermediate powerlifter. Um, mm. I'm looking now at like competing once every nine months or so, um, because you know I'm not looking at competing at nationals or, or an international level event. I'm just looking at continuing to show up and, and try and attempt to chip my, my previous total. And, 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 you know, I'm looking to do that for a very long period of time. When you become an advanced lifter, that's when constraints are kind of put on you and you're almost forced to compete um, a little bit more often. If that's, if that's what you're, you know, if that's what you're in this for, if you're, if you're in it for the likes of, national level events and and international yeah. level events well you have to do those you know what i mean if you're if you're um if you're competing at junior worlds in the coming weeks well you've you did junior uh junior nationals earlier in the year so that's two two competitions in the space of six months you know what i mean and and maybe you'll do another competition maybe you'll do uh, the christmas uh qualifier in in december which is only four months away you know and so you might be somebody who wants to do one comp a year, but you're kind of forced into doing more if uh, if you're at that level, you know. So that's absolutely that's uh, that's another thing there. But generally, I think. Go ahead. Sorry, I was. I think we had heard Don Stacy when we had her on talking about like it's it's like consecutive big competitions and invites, and it can get very taxing. But it's kind of like it's nearly like you can't step away because like you're then out of the rotation or you need to compete in order to be eligible to qualify. It's like you're, there was some analogy that I'm going to pull out of me hole that was totally separate. It's like you're at the table in Vegas and you're winning. You just can't leave the table. It's, I don't know, for some reason that kind of comes to mind, but it's, it definitely seems like you can be locked into that cycle. And of course, like, and I have a couple of notes from a little Q and A that I, that I put up there this morning that, people are like competitions don't roll around every weekend especially international competitions and if you're getting invites that's something to be very grateful for and obviously people want to take advantage of that and there's very few people i think are going to just go to an international and just look to i'm just i'm just here to have fun and just do the thing people want to be hitting prs on the international platform especially so that that can be tough and like you say you can be locked into competing more times maybe than you're you're comfortable doing generally um I would say, you know, 
try to pick a competition that gives you pick it ahead of time you know don't try not to just sign up maybe the day the ticket like don't get a notion and just pick up a ticket and then land it on your coach kind of thing um try to be working into a competition most most um avenues of competition will publicize their calendar you know well and well in advance um yeah. so you'll be able to give yourself a good kind of 16 plus uh week lead up into that competition i think that's probably the golden goldilocks totally spot. that's nice that's real nice because you can it's if it's any further away from a training point of view i personally feel anyway it's tough to orient yourself towards that goal it's still it's nearly intangible it's so far in in the future yeah you know you kind of want you don't want to hamstring that that period of your training either you want you want that period of your training oftentimes to be very open-ended and and developmental uh or even exploratory and and putting this this light at the end of the tunnel or this 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 pot of gold at the end of the rainbow can oftentimes kind of take some of the the novelty or the desire to to participate in in novel or exploratory training away from people people get a bit kind of anxious to be doing the thing and training really 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 hard 20 fucking eight weeks out which is not conducive to better competition day performances i don't think at least in, in in the most in most cases that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I hadn't really considered that because you definitely do need, I, and again, I was only talking to somebody in the gym about this this morning, about the, the importance of novelty, especially when specificity is so powerful that you may not need as much of it as, as we once thought and, and being open to trying new things out. But if you're like, well, I've, I've a competition in 25 weeks time, like I can't be dicking around here with the bow bar, like I need to be, need to be greasing the groove and all this kind of stuff it, it can make people very anxious but maybe a very level-headed coach or somebody who can put these things into perspective um is is the right fit for you then in that case do you know but that's that is a really good point and that should influence your programming in the build-up to this competition but one maybe a silly little note on choosing an appropriate competition but we had this about choosing like a gym and a coach as well location matters yep do you know like you want it to be like you said, the calendar is, is released typically in very good time. Picking competitions that you can feasibly get to and, and participate in or kind of removing a bit of the ball ache there in terms of the logistics of the competition is definitely advisable. Like if you are from Dublin and there's a competition in abs, yeah, definitely, definitely pick that. Like that's that's a good, that's a good shout. Although traveling to different gyms for competitions is very, very fun. Yep, certainly. I think, um, yeah, the talk about programming um leads us very nicely into into our next point which was programming and kind of technical considerations uh, for preparing for a competition one of the biggest things we i suppose we wanted to talk to talk about here is peaking versus tapering what the kind of terminology is there and and how those two things are not the same thing and and, and absolutely they're often um purported to be you know Mm. this is a real pet peeve of mine believe it or not but and I was always a dick to people when they were hitting PRs, let's say. Let's say you're doing, yeah. in, in Odyssey, we run a static microcycle. So you're typically, your week of training is going to be frozen. Let's say your competition squad exposure is a set of four at RPE eight. And the weights you use for that go up and up and up and up and up. And I've often seen people at the end of a block of fours, let's say, I hit a new PR set of four and I'm not even peaked. And it's like, I'm sorry, 
you are. But literally, by definition, you are. Yeah. Like you have repeated exposures to this stimulus, you will reach a point of diminishing returns. You're in a peaked condition. Yep. So that's that's what I would call peaking. And typically for powerlifting, you want to peak your one rep max squat bench and deadlift on the same day, because that's the sport. That's why we we put the label of peaking on that, as opposed to a taper, which would be a drop in the amount of stress as your fatigue and preparedness is climbing in order to ideally drop the fatigue and allow for this kind of super compensation effect and have your preparedness very high and your fatigue very low on the day. That's what we would call the taper, like dropping something. It might be intensity, it might be volume, be whatever you want. Different people do different things, different horses for different courses. That's the distinction in my mind, do you know? And, and tapering can happen outside of competition. Like people often do tapers mid-block or towards the end of a typical developmental block just to kind of squeeze the last few drops of adaptation out of a block or just to see or just to have fun and just kind of manage fatigue i've, I've often done it yeah i think the the unpeaked thing is, is a very funny one that does warrant warrant kind of conversation we act like we often act like these kind of um physiological phenomena are very simple and and understood but they're really totally. fucking not like we have no idea what peaked looks like from a physiological point of view. You know what I mean? You may very mm. well, let's say you, you're, you're running triples or whatever. And at the end of that block of triples, you max out, you know, you do like a full on one RM session on your squat bench and deadlift and it goes great. You know, you may, you may claim unpeaked, but what are you like? What, what are you talking about? How do you know? You know what I mean? That, that there's definitely a burden of proof there. Like what how do you know that physiologically you're you're not in a peak condition? Maybe you are. You know what I mean? How yeah. how do we know that there's there's a difference between this and that? Do you know? So it's just this like weird thing that people people hold on to because in times gone there was this idea that that a peak was this twelve week process that you committed to that just added will say uh up to five percent to each of your lifts like that's how it was viewed you know and if if that didn't happen you would always see it reported that the peak didn't go well the peak was always blamed um to the point where there was like a pushback to the to the idea of peaking i know a lot of people uh will say in like 2017 2018 would would um say the you know say things like peaking isn't real uh, as a pushback <laughs> to that you know but it, it is and we just have to understand that we're we're looking to achieve these these things that uh appear very simple on the surface but actually they're hyper complex um Absolutely. and oftentimes we haven't a fucking clue we're just doing our making our best guess you know it's guesswork it really is guesswork and it's funny that i forgot about that whole phenomenon it's like the the enlightenment period of powerlifting was just starting to kick off like people were saying no peaking doesn't work or peaking is unreliable so i'm going to ditch this very top down eight to twelve week approach and instead we're just going to train as normal into competition but the block is going to be a little bit more specific that's still peaking yep. it's it's different and it's maybe more repeatable and more reliable and i love that and that's great but it's peaking is not to be blamed it's not this this thing i think people were personifying peaking as this like this weird entity or this this thing that you had to go through and they're like no fuck peaking that's that's unreliable it's this or it's that like, it's a thing that happens yeah. 
as a result of training. I think that often happens to different nomenclature within powerlifting specifically, that it gains totally. almost this like different words will gain almost like this cult uh, <laughs> following or cult meaning. Wedging. Wedging, yeah. Wedging is, is definitely one. good on there. Yeah. Um, slack. Slack, yeah. Tension, uh, other different things that there's, you know, that, that kind of cyclically rotate throughout. Another one I'm seeing lately is people going on and on about um, midfoot pressure. Which is like, oh God. yeah, yeah, sure. Do you know what I mean? It, but it's like, it's not the thing that like the hidden gem, the hidden key that everyone has been missing up to now. It's like, no, that mm. that was another one that was very, you know, I've seen in recent times, you know, a, a good handful of um, Instagram posts around this this topic. And about seven or eight years ago, it was the same. Mark Bell and, and Ed Cohen were making videos on it and then the it yeah yeah exactly you know um so yeah powerlifting is just just a weird sport. it's funny but it, it goes into what we talked about in our underrated overrated podcast about cues being temporal and like yeah they're they're fine like there's something that you can use they'll come and they'll go and they'll it's okay like it but it's and fucking bracing is another one that like people will focus on for a couple of months now and then it'll kind of the new thing will come along and then six months time 12 months time two years time it'll come back and anyway we're getting sidetracked yep. getting sidetracked but that's peaking and tapering a very important consideration and it's i think if you if you dig into it or if you kind of understand it that way it lessens the pressure because it's not this like i need to get all these steps right in order for the peak to go well peaking's gonna happen and there's a ton of factors inside of your control and outside of your control there's known knowns known unknowns and unknown unknowns this kind of shit like there's if the competition day doesn't go well it's not that it's the peak's fault it's there's a bunch of things that could go wrong or could be at fault and then shit happens sometimes like that can just be the case too you know so so peaking and tapering again peaking just do your normal block and again like we'd said loads of people go about tapering different ways i feel like every time i, I write up a taper it, it's totally different um that's just how it goes you know but but definitely on the topic of programming for competition we had said this in the past that typically closer to the competition it will get more we had said specific but it will get more familiar i think was a brilliant thing that you had said on that how to coach how to be your own coach or how to coach and power right, that the podcast program, that it was yeah. How to write your own training. That was brilliant. Um, typically further out, you have that freedom to, to be explorative and be a little more novel. And that's absolutely important. But as you had said, the closer you get to competition, the more familiar this should be. Because you don't want to be trying new stuff out a month out from the competition. You want something reliable. You want this data of training ideally built up. So that, right, this is a good, solid, reliable block. I'm going to plug that in here. And life will be great. Yeah. In fact, on paper, yeah, hundred percent. And you can make, you know, you can put together something that that appears new, but actually, it's just a, a an assembly of of familiar familiar things where we have a good idea yeah. and understanding of what your response in the past has been. Response may be different, and that's okay. You know, response may not be as good as previous responses, and that's also okay because there's always going to be another one. And that's how you do powerlifting. <laughs> you just have to keep going. That's. And what you said at the start of this podcast about like taking the comp day off the pedestal, man, like that is mm -hmm. the thing mm -hmm. to do, right? And it's there's 
knowing that there's going to be another one. There, there may be slightly infrequent, but there's going to be another one. That's that's great. And, and again, taking your approach to the programming leading into the competition and having it be a little bit more familiar does so much for the for the comp being just a day out, yeah. a normal fucking effectively training day. And and I think everyone has had the feeling, especially. I think it's once you've done your first squat, you're like, oh, this is just lifting weights. Yep. Like, this is just the same as I always do, you know? Yep. I think um, you mentioned how we use a, generally we use a static microcycle. Um, in recent times, I've, I've become kind of more and more uh, open and honest with myself a little bit, I suppose, in, in that in, I think, yes, in every situation, probably accept, um the like a competition prep or one block out from competition that's where i'm probably more inclined to run something kind of uh, more akin to like a typical top-down block where i will write in Mm. kind of graded increases in in uh intensity or or write in the taper and different things like that that's not static you know um but i think where the static microcycle uh really pays dividends is in this exact um situation because you know if you're if you're given if you're you know 20 weeks out from competition and you give yourself three or four blocks to to explore and to kind of develop um with a static microcycle you you should start to garner an understanding of generally how long it takes you to peak in adaptation to exposure to Mm. to any training stimulus given it's it's relatively similar to to the one you're you're comparing uh comparing results to uh, and that will give you generally an understanding of how long your your we'll say competition peak or competition preparation the last block headed into competition um it'll give you an understanding as to how long that should be and i think that's a very very valuable piece of information to have if anything absolutely that's kind of the first protocol even if we if we have data to suggest that your time to peak as we've described it in the past is x amount of weeks when we pick a competition we're like right what date is that on and work back from there to to frame things up you know and that can be super reassuring because you have a plan in place there um you're giving yourself very very underrated thing you're giving yourself kind of the opportunity to to build up uh you know i suppose you're just making educated guesses as opposed to guesses um with regards Mm. to to that kind of more top-down period of your of your training you know absolutely yeah so so highly highly recommend that I think that's kind of commonplace these days, or maybe I'm in a total echo chamber about measuring time to peak and timing block length to accommodate for competition timelines. Is that people do this? Yeah, I think, I think we're definitely in a place where, where a lot more people do it than, than we'll say a few years back when it was just again, the, all right, I'm starting my 12 week peak now, you know? Um, Yeah. Even, even that, even what a 12 week peak, block looks like now is very different to what it looked like before and it's it generally mm. actually will say a couple of blocks but people just are sticking to the like i say the nomenclature that that they subscribe to um in terms of programming you know programming specifics i would hesitate to to, to give anything again keep it familiar mm. if if singles have worked particularly well for you in the past then you know do singles um Absolutely. some people don't like singles so that's fine they'll do doubles and triples for whatever reason they feel maybe something that's relatively commonly reported to me um regarding blocks of singles is that people kind of hit a brick wall fairly quickly 
when compared to yeah. something like triples or even doubles. Uh, and so, okay, then we just aren't going to do your typical uh, single at RP8 for the, the four or five weeks um, preceding competition. We'll just do doubles and or triples, you know, and maybe we'll Absolutely. do a single on like a, a pause movement, you know, or something mm. or something load limiting like that. I love that. It, it it speaks to what we said about specificity being so powerful that you don't need to be hitting singles coming into the competition. And a lot of people, for a lot of reasons, don't like them or if it's, it's inappropriate. It can be very anxiety inducing. If your singles at eight are not lining up to your expectations for what you want to hit on the day, you can that can be real self-sabotage. And your singles at eight can turn into singles at nines and tens really quickly. Do you know? And I'm a fucker for that as well. So, But it's the, like the, the things that you described there about doubles or triples or lower intensity stuff or one or two steps away from the competition specific movements like adding a pause or taking the belt away stuff like that still super specific yep. but less anxiety and you can actually execute the program as intended do you want to say something because i have a tangent here jump, on jump the in. importance of so on that note of peeking into competition without using very specific competition exposures this is one of the main reasons why i love doing singles on pivot weeks after the block because i've had several people that i've brought into competition with their main squat day being four at an rpe6 because i have the data to suggest that that exposure leads them like six weeks of that leads them to hit a fucking phenomenal single on a pivot week even without a taper so i it's it's stephen duffy and jordan boss are two that come to mind triples at six fours at six very routinely and and fatigue management is a dream coming into the competition then the only downside i'd imagine is there's there's a certain mental side of things that they're they haven't hit singles in quite some time or they're not too sure what the heavyweight feels like quote unquote or they're not sure what's there on the date you know on the openers that we would hit typically hit one week out is kind of their first chance to be like what's what are we looking at here? What's what's reasonable to expect on the day? Because for something like four at six or triple at six, your estimated one or max calculators, whatever one you use, is going to be a little bit airy fairy. It's a little bit kind of further away. So that's the only consideration there. But there's there's potential to work some things in there, like you said, a more a more or less specific comp movement. Yep. Do you know? Yep. But but anyway, singles on pivot weeks. That's one of the main reasons why I like that. Yep. Do you know? Because you're gonna you're if your four at six has gone up 25 kilos over the course of four weeks, that's great. If it doesn't translate into a heavy single, I don't really care. Yep. And oftentimes it mightn't, you know? Yep, certainly, certainly. Cool. So um, in terms of then the week or two leading up to competition, there, there are a few things here to talk about. I suppose at the moment in the RHPF, you have to finalize your weight class now five weeks out from competition. Mm -hmm. um so you know some obvious advice is don't <laughs> cut probably i think just flat out yeah, yeah i think for the overwhelming majority of people listening to this cutting is a terrible idea and no one cares no one gives a fuck whether you are a 93 or an 83 or a 105 or a 93 no one gives a shit like just be the body weight that is most conducive to you leading a healthy and happy life. And if you have room to play with it, then after that, 
sure you can start like you know considering performance in that maybe you can maybe you can start looking to an often purported thing even though i think i read something during the week that's it's kind of starting to call uh this into question a little bit is that being heavier will help your training or you know mass moves mass yeah um i mean yeah like if you if you're let's say you know 85 kilos and and you want to just train you want to you're happy and comfortable and you're happy and comfortable with the notion of gaining five kilos then yeah cool you know do it whatever but just compete at your body weight don't do not cut the overwhelming majority of people in powerlifting have no no reason to be cutting if you're looking at the highest levels of performance on a national and international level then yeah fine that's where cutting uh becomes becomes an art and a science that that is very valuable and can can be the difference between being a world champion and never being a world champion um you know i think of like panna who is one of the leanest powerlifters i've i've ever seen and i know he still cuts quite a lot into the 66 kilo class um and with good effect he's the world champion right now if he moved up mm. to 74 it's a whole different ball game and you're you're dealing with other people who are cutting weight you know you're dealing with bigger bigger individuals uh who are holding a lot more muscle mass and it's very unlikely in my opinion that he would ever be world champion in in that class uh with those individuals hanging around you mm. know what i mean so yeah at the, the the very top levels of the sport it's important but no, no one cares beyond that if you're you know if you're looking at the difference between hitting like a we'll say like a 350 dots or a 380 dots like man it it does not matter don't worry yeah. about it just compete and do the thing and have fun and do it a lot and then maybe in years to come then we can start considering weight cuts if you're if you're looking at winning nationals or or something to that effect you know absolutely yeah couldn't agree more i've nothing i've nothing really to add there there is there is a lot to be said i know that, and i i think we've probably read the same thing about body weight and strength expression or being in a caloric surplus and how that the impact that that has on your strength performance but still there's there's a lot to be said for the weeks and months leading into a competition if you're restricting or if you're eating in a slight surplus or you're eating at maintenance man that the freedom that that gives you even mentally that that's not occupying your mind you're giving you're providing yourself with with close to optimal or just improved recovery and adaptive resources theoretically anyway um it's it's just an all-out better place to be and like you said nobody cares whether you're an 83 or a 93 at the phenom open in three four weeks at nationals maybe a little bit at internationals maybe a little bit but like risk to reward totally not worth it and and you don't want to be the guy and we all know them who've you're like man you're not supposed to be warming up like your your flight's going to start soon he's like miss wait would you stop like that's never 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 worthwhile to know I, I i totally agree with you and that's effectively the sentiment of most of the responses that i got from this q a it's just chill out enjoy the process no point letting comp control your life think about weight classes at least before the weight class change cut off point please all this kind of stuff yeah that's absolutely a no-brainer in my mind i would say just as like an actionable piece of advice the day before weight class change weigh yourself in the evening weigh yourself in the morning 
and change to the class that you are in you know what i mean like don't yeah i like that don't leave it up to chance don't put yourself in a position where five weeks you have five weeks to lose like three kilos or whatever because it's just stress and there's no need especially if you're relatively new to competing you know you've you've zero to three competitions under your belt please don't do that please don't Mm. do that because it's already stressful enough you know absolutely we could stick on the nutrition side of things coming into the comp itself um i i I typically have no great nutrition advice for the weeks and months leading into it like a couple of well avoiding drugs and alcohol is probably advisable at the best of times um the drink man will get you it it's like the slow kind of chronic impact it'll have on your training is pronounced um it's a stress multiplier very tough right that's often the way i think about these things along with the likes of i don't know being sick uh, it's it yeah. has a multiplicative effect on your on on your training stress, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. A lot of people think it just adds like a flat fatigue debt, but no, not at all. You know, if you're out drinking a yeah. lot and and or dealing with you know a little bit of a sniffle or or something that's kind of attacking your immune system, uh, and that's going to multiply the the impact that the training stress is having having on you. You know, and that 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 can often, especially when you're trying to piece together. Uh, training that's familiar and you're looking for a for a particular response that can can wreak havoc so it's definitely a good idea to try and just you know limit it um avoid altogether is is tough and and often not Mm. a fruitful um thing to do but yeah just limit like the amount of alcohol you're drinking which is quite difficult when you live in ireland yeah, especially when it's like the main social outlet that, that people have. Do you have a cutoff point where you advise people to abstain? Because I don't think it's unreasonable to ask people a week out to abstain from alcohol, two weeks out, three weeks out. Is is there a point? Do you ever prescribe that or do you ever recommend it? Only for, again, like, like, not that I value kind of larger, like international level competitions or national level competitions more. Um I, I really don't. It's just that the we're like going in looking. The goal isn't just to do our best. When the goal is to do your best, you can't fail. You know what I mean? Especially when you're guided by a coach because you're just going to do your best. And that's that's yeah. very, very easy to do. And if you listen to your coach and the coach, you know, has your best interest at heart, then they're, you're going to do your best. Um, when the goal is to beat someone else, well, then it's different, right? You, you've got, it's going to come down to the finest margins and the difference between mm. you being able to execute on those those tiny, tiny, tiny opportunities could come down to, well, did you, did you go out in the piss three weeks out from competition? If yes, well, that could be the reason that you missed that last pull at lockout to win. You know what I mean? Oof. And so, yeah, in those instances, I'll probably ask, four weeks or so out or, or just maybe in the, the final block that you limit or abstain uh how much how much you're drinking a glass of wine or, or or a pint you know on sunday with with dinner isn't gonna isn't going to affect you probably in any meaningful extent but if you're really serious about it um you know abstinence from 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 it for a few weeks isn't going to isn't going to kill you and like i said mm. it could be the thing that makes a difference um generally though no i don't i'm not going to like uh, definitely i've had it where people will kind of hide it from me um that they that they did drink or whatever and it's like ah you know that's 
that's not what's going on here like i'm not going to scold you and be very very disappointed in you like no you're 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 an adult you can make your own decisions you have your own um kind of priorities and if you if you wanted to go out and you know have a fun night out and, and have a few drinks two weeks out or one week out and that's just how your priorities lie and yeah cool like i'm happy for you just let me know and uh, if we need to make any training adjustments then we we can make those training adjustments because like i say it's it's mm. uh it's multiplicative so there's 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 easily things can can be done you know absolutely uh, it's what you are dead right in terms of like it comes down to your priorities and if somebody is a very stressful job or like let's say you have friends back who are living abroad and they you're one week out and they want to go and have a few drinks i know what i'd do Me too. and that's that's not to say that it's a prescription but it's more to say like man it's okay like this is a hobby at the end of the day like if, if your coach is telling you like no 12 weeks out no drink at all even just making these interventions on your behalf that are slightly separate to the support i wonder do they have your best interests at heart you know it's and it's tough i, I, I know they, they may want you to perform the best for either yourself or themselves but it does come down to a matter of priorities um, and and you can make good decisions still like it's not like you have to totally abstain like you said you could have you just moderate it a little bit but um you know i think you need to enjoy your life as well for sure i think beyond that in terms of uh, nutritional guidance i would generally steer clear of 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 nutritional guidance anyway uh particularly on specifics you know we can give very kind of broad um advice mm. nutritionally i will never ever give a meal plan because that's highly unethical but um yeah i mean again familiarity matters people totally one thing that people often ask about is competition day nutrition and that's sure. often where they'll do the stupidest shit uh just keep it normal do you know what i mean especially if we've done stuff in the past if you've maxed out if you've if you've competed or whatever and and had you know good positive performances just just keep it keep it familiar do what you normally do don't come into comp day and eat like two bags of jellies and drink four <laughs> four diorolites or whatever like Jesus. no that's not how it works and people do that that's very very common they just think more is better like this is what everyone does so i have to do it it's like no mm. just you know do do your thing do your normal normal thing especially if you have for whatever reason cut into the competition i remember i know he wouldn't mind but i'm still not going to name him it was unis i think it was 2019 in ucc somebody was cutting into the i think it was the 74 kilo class big l cut barely made it and was hammering food afterwards like obviously very hungry but it's like yeah no hammering food hammering food <laughs> and he got sick <laughs> he got sick at his opener and i think he ended up bombing because of it and that's that's the idea of like more is better more is better gotta fuel up especially refuel with the stress of of cutting no not worth it M moderation as well on this and and it's it's funny i was thinking back to february my competition and a couple of little things that i did wrong that i don't think caused the the day to be a bit of a sham but um we went to the shop yourself myself ken and adam Lucknan went to the shop and i remember i hadn't had a breakfast roll in months but for some reason that day i was like yeah i'm gonna grab an old 
breakfast roll and it was so rich and my stomach felt like shite <laughs> straight away and I, I, I as soon as I had it I knew like what a terrible idea like why I've been having oats every day for the last 20 weeks or so like why don't I just have my oats like fuck um, so I'll remember that coming into October and I have a lot here actually about uh, eat real food not just monster and jellies yeah yeah I, I think just feeling good and normal and, and not having a sick stomach is obviously um, yeah. a positive thing and staying hydrated as well and not dump Jesus yeah people dump caffeine at the start of a comp day and get, get a huge crash and then you see people as they're warming up for deadlifts like scoop and pre-workout and you're like man it's too late for that like you should have done that an hour ago if, if anything i know the the rates of digestion or absorption I, I don't know which is the appropriate word for caffeine in the bloodstream is highly variable yeah. it's like half an hour to 120 minutes um knowing that about yourself if you have a rough idea of when you start to feel like you because it could be total placebo you don't know for certain but if you have a rough idea of what kind of timeline your caffeine hit comes in that can be potentially very helpful but I wouldn't go bananas on pre-workout or caffeine. No, certainly not. Certainly not. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if you're serious about it and comp day nutrition or even just training, pre-training or post-training nutrition is something you want to look to optimize, then I would recommend there's a plenty of, of very high-level powerlifting-oriented nutritional resources now. Uh, in Ireland alone, we've um, Katrina Connolly and Jane Jones, who, who both I... I would recommend, you know, uh, Absolutely. and they kind of, again, like coaching, there's kind of different spins. And I think those two have, you know, a different, different look, or maybe a di- different delivery of, of a, of a, you know, similar enough service. So there's something for everyone, you know what I mean? And I, I think that's a, a very positive thing to, to undertake if you've got the, the funds lying around to, to do so. You know? 100%, 100%. So we're coming to on the day in terms of, because we, we went over peaking from a programming point of view. We went over nutrition in the build-up to it. So we're looking at on the day, I suppose attempt selection is, is what the obvious thing is. Or there's having a handler as well, I think, is an important thing to consider. As we went over in the overrated versus underrated podcast, having a handler is underrated. Is or Maybe I'll clarify. Having a handler who knows what they're doing is underrated. Yeah. Having a spare body is nearly like a liability. Um, so... If you don't have one, source one. There's there's some all over the shop. Um, and communicate with them what you want out of the day. Do you know that's that's important because that has a huge impact on your attempt selection. And, and often you don't have the mental space to make good calls for yourself. So somebody in your corner who's familiar with your training and how you move and what you want can make very good informed decisions on your behalf because it ideally will be quite objective about it yep. to a degree because they obviously want what what you want but having somebody who has their shit together you've discussed a plan you know what your warm-ups are one thing we used to do that i used to dislike heavily but i couldn't put a word on it was that when you we used to come into competition you would have my warm-ups and they'd be separate to what i would normally do yeah do you know you would say right at 10 10 minutes out you're going to hit this and then you're going to hit this and there were such weird like weights that i'd never really hit before and what I and I think we have tended towards now is Adam you come in and you just do your normal warm-ups like as if you were to work up to this heavy single like I've I've a guy who recently signed up with us his warm-ups are fucking crazy I would never program this but 
I handled him at bench nationals and look I didn't know the guy really so I wasn't going to be one to exert my will on him and, and prescribe these warm-ups so as, as crazy as his were I just said yep yeah, man leave I'll leave you to it because that's familiar and that's what you know now uh, we're starting to <laughs> to change them a little bit now because you know exactly who I'm talking about and how fucking crazy they are but on the day I think like like we'd said keep it familiar is the way to go yeah do you know don't be a dick either with your warm-ups don't do like <laughs> don't do uh, five sets of each thing you load on the bar and all of them are like the 2.5 increments like please god no a big thing and i think something that's worth considering uh, on this topic is is kind of warming up in similar um yes increments that that people will warm up in on competition day so as close to like you know if you're if you're like a 200 plus kilo opener uh, on whatever, you know, plate, 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 maybe 190 or 200 and then go, you know, versus yeah. like hyper specific things that just put a spanner in the works and, and oftentimes are potent, they leave a lot of potential for error as well because, you you know, on a rack, you're going to have multiple parties kind of involved and working in and, and loading. Yeah. And there's, you know, if you're looking for, I don't know, one, uh, 77.5 or whatever there's there's a definitely higher or, or even something like 187.5 where there's multiple plates on the bar mm. there's a much higher chance of, of the bar being misloaded than in the warm-up room you know absolutely it's just kind of annoying so it's super annoying yeah so do your best and that that is something that i will often dictate is someone will ask for for like 177 and i'll be like Okay, we're gonna do one seventy five. Here we go. <laughs> you know? That's that's a great point. No, it is, and it, it's being a little bit flexible with them as well, or generally being kind of flexible in your warm ups. And I, I don't mind people taking, even in training, varying the warm ups just a little bit, so you're not like locked into that that routine. I know Mike uh, Tashir posted about this a good while ago about being very aware of your routines and being very conscious of your routines when he was in the Air Force they deliberately had different cockpit drills every time you got in the plane because if you were automatic you were kind of at risk of them forgetting something or it's like having a fresh list or the list jumbled up each day you were deliberate about everything you did and i think there's a lot to be said for that because if you're in a position where there's 10 people working in on a rack and you want 182.75 and you're like well 180s on the bar 185s on the bar it's better for everyone if you're just that little bit flexible and accommodating and the whole thing will go way smoother do you know and there's part of that is working in with people of similar strength level you know and being on time for fuck's sake the amount of people who like there's say everyone's doing 170 right okay we're going 200 next ish cool somebody comes along is like can i get 70 on the bar it's like you get the fuck out of my sight or this bar will be dropped on you like i hate that so much and if somebody doesn't know that's cool that's fine that's fair enough a lot of people with handlers come in and be at that get the fuck out of my sight i hate that so much there's plenty of time there's plenty of time if you've weighed in you should be there fucking off for two hours to get food and coming back lastminute.com is doing yourself no favors get in get a feel for who's on which rack if they're mad strong maybe go to a, a, a another rack and vice versa do you know so just be there be present be about it communicate with the people about you don't just throw your headphones on and start busting moves 
and, and singing out loud like a prick. Don't go missing. Jesus Christ, that's, one, that's my biggest missing. pet peeve Fuck when me. someone just will disappear. It's like, I understand <laughs> that you're your own autonomous human, but I would love to know generally how long it's going to be until you're back if you're going to leave. Like, yeah, it might be a bit of a pain to have to tell someone you're going to take a shit, but like please let me know because then I, there won't be this panic where I'm fucking running around the place looking for you <laughs> while while everyone else is trying to, you know, move the bar up to, you know, four plates instead of two or whatever. And then we have oh, to Jesus. be, we have to be those people asking for the annoying loading. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think something we kind of glossed over there, but is very important is, um, so setting your expectations and, yes. I think, yes, that should be done with your coach or your handler. Uh, and I'll explain how I do it uh, for the most mm. part. Um, beginner and intermediate is probably going to be very similar. What I do about a week out um, is just before, because generally we'll hit openers on day one of the final week of training, generally speaking. Mm. Um, so before that, um, when they finish probably like day four of their final uh, of, of their, their week, final week before that is I'll ask them, what their ideal uh, thirds on competition day would be. Uh, and I'm asking mm. for their ideal thirds on purpose. You know, I want their like what, because that's when you, when you give them the freedom to tell you what they actually want, um, that's, that's when you'll, you'll actually be able to kind of leaven expectations and you're not just getting this kind of filtered version, this kind of version oh, of, Jesus, of yeah. kind of what they think you want to hear as opposed to what their actual expectations absolutely goals yeah. are so i'll ask for that and then generally i will give them what i'm thinking i'll literally type here's what i'm thinking and i'll give them uh opener second attempt third attempt and generally speaking it's going to be a range on the squat the bench press and the deadlift and in most cases it's probably going to be a little bit lower than what what they uh were hoping for but just hearing that from me allows them gives them you know at least one week to kind of readjust expectations and get that in line and, and that's probably going to lead to a much more enjoyable day um, because there was a period in time where maybe I didn't do that as thoroughly and I allowed people to kind of have these runaway expectations and then we'd kind of be not on the same page like I would have thought like you just had an amazing day and they were like yeah I mean yeah I hit five kilos less than I wanted on this lift that doesn't matter at all you know uh, and that would be the thing that that ruins their day simply because I didn't take control of that a week or two weeks out and and yeah. level those expectations. So that's very very that's important. Obviously, a very tricky thing to do because some people, through no fault of their own, can come in with delusional expectations, um, where numbers can stick in their mind for for whatever reason, for a variety of different reasons. And I think in the past we've gone against leveling expectations out of fear of introducing negativity and doubt. But I think you just need to be realistic and you're doing the lifter. And if you are the lifter, you're doing yourself a service. If you're just being real, do you know, and, and giving yourself every opportunity to succeed. And, and like we had said, like we'll keep reiterating, it's just another competition. There will be more and you don't need to blow it out of the water and hit fucking all PRs, all records, whatever, this day like this is a long this is a long game you know so it's a bit of reality a healthy dose of reality goes a long way and 
definitely certainly you and I as coaches are, are better at being the guy who's like actually now I hate to be this fella but let's tone down a little bit and let's be real here because we want you to have the best day we want you to hit all your attempts we want you to hit your PRs these other crazy numbers that people can come out with that people often come out with is doing yourself a disservice and at a certain you know? point you don't even have to to do that you don't even have to give like a qualifying statement there because you, you, the, the proof will be in the pudding like any yeah i think all of my athletes right now bar maybe one or two are, are athletes that uh i've worked with for an extended period of time and we've done multiple competitions and they know that on competition day i'm going to make the right calls and have their best interest at heart so they completely trust me i wouldn't take it you know take offense to to me saying i think actually we're gonna you know we're gonna be looking for 10 to 20 kilos under what you were hoping for because they know that yeah. that that's for a reason i'm not just saying that to to be a dick <laughs> not fucking around <laughs> yeah um cool so yeah i think that's i think that's pretty much that in terms of warm-up room etiquette is there any anything else i think the biggest thing is and you're not really responsible for this as the athlete if you have a handler or coach but um if you're a handler or coach if you're finished with the bar strip it don't just dump the bar leave the bar there for the next group or for the people who are tidying up in the evening just fucking put the plates back strip the bar it's not that hard it'll take you 30 seconds um and it's just generally good etiquette so so please do that um other than that i don't really have a, a whole pile else to add there there's no certainly yeah warm-up room etiquette is is paramount um and we remember people who are pricks or keep the bars loaded to be fair i think everyone does do you know um you could you could talk about attempt selection but it's like it's so different it's so variable like i was chatting in the gym earlier on about this and people were talking about you take 12 and a half from this and then you take seven and a half and then you take five No, no it's 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 whatever you want it to be, whatever you need it to be. A good line that I was given this morning uh, was that nobody cares about your openers. Like people seem to put their openers on a pedestal as well, it's, and it's like a point of pride. Like I'm opening like at all comp yours, or I'm opening at my gym best, and you're like, "There's why?" That doesn't matter. Like you you want to put your opener is there to just put you on the board register the total and put you in the best possible position to hit your second or third attempts like people go on as if your opener is the only attempt you get you want it to be roll out of bed hit it at two o'clock in the morning kind of way it's a bit of an exaggeration but there was there's always the i think it's chico said this and i will always always hold on to this is the openers for the judges the seconds for the team and the third is for you do you know and it's it's a little bit different because I think that was said for like weightlifting where they're representing their country and shit like this and they're looking to win but the openers are for the judges and oftentimes like I will always say to people it's a good line I think if depth is a little bit shaky and you don't want to tell somebody that it is you're like yeah it's absolutely there I just want it to be a little bit more convincing for the judges so that you show them that they don't even need to pay attention to you that you're grand you're gold don't worry about me at all fucking 100% keep the openers light that's a no-brainer yep yeah i mean attempt selection is kind of a, a fairly intangible thing i think a lot of people are mm. either really good at it or not and i think there's 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 quite a lot of coach athlete interplay there um 
and and your kind of coach athlete relationship matters a lot when it comes to attempt selection um totally i know certain athletes who i wouldn't really pay a whole pile of attention to what they're telling me regarding their attempt selection <laughs> and you know kind of more more commonly then you know they'll they'll definitely guide the kind of uh kind of more the minutiae i suppose like the athlete will guide the kind of the the exact increment which we land on you know it'll kind of be plus or minus 2.5 depending on how the athlete feels but generally i'm going to guide where where attempt selection goes uh the only thing that really popped to mind there that i generally do with everyone is so we'll come into the competition probably with a plan of taking an x jump between opener and second attempt i like to take mm. that same jump from last warm-up to opener uh, and yeah. that kind of allows me to kind of dial in uh, my predictions for for how they're moving you know what i mean and, and mo- mo- you know uh, more often than not i have a very good understanding of the the person in front of me how they move um the kind of how bar speed slows as as weight increases and i'll be able to pick the right weights based on that but i just think that does help uh kind of inform you on competition day so yeah worth doing um there's a lot to be said for leaving kilos on the platform um Man, again in line yeah. in line with what we're we're saying here and the, the message we often give off like this is a long-term thing an odyssey if you will and so you know leaving 2.5 to 5 kilos on the platform on your squat your bench press and deadlift and doing that forever what's that going to do that's going to ensure that you you know that's going to ensure that you don't miss attempts which can be you know can be quite nice and it's probably mm. going to be conducive to you adding kilos to your total every time you go out there um, and if you do that for a very long period of time, you know, that's, that's going to feel really good. Um, you're going to have, you're going to have, you know, a lot of evidence of progression. It's going to be nice to look at. And, um, and yeah, that's, you know, it's generally pretty, pretty good thing to do, I suppose. Amazing. I'd say it, 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 I imagine it's an amazing feeling. I don't know if I've had, had that experience yet. No, there was definitely a couple of comps there. Probably there was, I was in a similar position, but it's, there's a lot to be said for conducting your attempts and conducting yourself in a way that doesn't leave a bad taste yeah and if if you're leaving the platform hit nine for nine whatever kilos on the platform that's so nice like and and you're probably not fried you're probably not bet either do you know which is another thing because there's a conversation to be had about post comp practices and what to do and if you're coming off feeling fairly fresh having hit all your attempts regardless of whether it's PRs or not to be honest hitting all your attempts such a beautiful feeling like it's that's nice and that that will facilitate you competing again but if you have a shambles of a day and you feel like a spanner out in the platform are you going to be in a rush to sign up to one again maybe not I don't know and on the flip side if you've if you've gone eight for eight have had a perfect day and secured in a total PR which is on which is kind of commonly enough what we're looking to do I I'll on the second deadlift you know, when, when there's not much else on the line, I'm probably going to be looking to secure some kind of PR, total, be it total or deadlift. And you've had a perfect day up to that point. And you want to send it on your last pull? Like, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. That's that's another part of the sport that uh, that is a lot of fun and wor- a worthwhile experience. You know, even even regardless of outcome, you might miss it, but you may have had a lot of fun uh, in, in doing so. Do you know? Totally. Absolutely. 
and yeah, I think I think that's kind of all we've got. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to add there? To a few obvious, a few obvious bits like know the rules, have your equipment. Don't. <laughs> I have a, I have a couple of responses here. I imagine this is. I please God, this is sarcastic. Uh, how much you need to cut to be competitive, and if there are stiffer knee sleeves to buy, buy them. Yeah, thank you, Adam Duan for that gem there yeah uh that's a note on equipment coming into it like i wouldn't go replacing your whole arsenal of equipment a month out or so like especially if you're looking to get the, the new stiffest knee sleeves or you're sizing down knee sleeves and shit like that or just what's familiar familiarity is king i would say with this because you, you want it to be a totally normal day and make sure your shit is all comp spec doesn't need to be on the approved list well depending on the competition but it needs to be comp spec have your socks for the love of god i, I don't know really the easiest piece of kit to have and it's definitely the one that people miss i bring the most i bring spare socks to every competition i attend as a coach just because people nice. are 100 going to forget them <laughs> very good Th- those are two obvious ones know the rules have your equipment um if you are restricting coming into a competition it pays to be early for your weigh-ins because people will miss it people people miss their weigh-ins all the time and you could get scooched up on the list and you want to be there for that or you could get weighed in and start eating and start chilling early you don't want to be waiting around for ages to be to be weighed in do you know you don't want to be sitting there like a like a spare prick so being early is uh underrated certainly you know so stay and staying if you're traveling for a competition staying down the night before if possible, it, it can be very tricky or impossible for some people. You don't really want to be driving first thing in the morning, like leaving the house mad early and getting to a competition. Um, so if you can stay the night before, that's that's a good that's a good thing to do. And volunteer if you can stick around for the afternoon if you're competing in the morning or stick around for the next day if possible and lend a hand and volunteer is always very sound, especially if you're somebody who wants to compete. A lot of times, like we're in an environment we're in an environment now where early bird tickets a lot of them go and they're given to the people who volunteer and commit their time to help the show go on so volunteering is underrated as always and you get a cool t-shirt and you're you're being sound so there's it just ticks all the boxes volunteering's great certainly certainly well that is how to prepare for a powerlifting competition thank you everyone for listening to episode number 39 of the odyssey podcast we will be back again soon all the best